So there's a story, and it's this true story, a guy named Jim who was working a camp, I think it's Conacook in Missouri. It's a Christian sports camp out in Missouri, and uh, he was there, and his sister and he were working the camp probably that summer. Their parents came to see him probably for the weekend, and they said, hey, we got a timeshare nearby in this big resort called Holiday Island. I'm not sure. I don't know anything about it except that it's massive. And this was in the days before cell phones. And so they're at the softball game, and their son's playing, and the, do- the, the sister and the parents decide they've seen enough, and they're, they're going to go back and, and get settled in at the uh, timeshare there that they're staying in. And so the son says, okay, Jim says, go ahead, I'll, I'll catch up with you. And they go on, and the game ends, and he starts to realize, well, I didn't really get any information on where they are. I don't know where they went. I don't have a phone to call. I don't have a phone to call with. I don't know where this place is. I haven't been to it. I don't know the address. And so he just kind of starts to, I'm not quite sure, so he, he just starts looking for the office. He figures, you know, this is a, a resort, so there should be an office. So he goes to this place that looks like an office, and it turns out they're like, yeah, we can't really help you because there's no central office for this resort. These are all independently owned, and there are thousands of timeshares that are independently owned. And so we have no clue how to find out where your parents are. And so he really starts to feel alone and, and just really lost. So he gets in his car, and he starts to drive, and he quickly sees his sister's car. So he's like, oh, wow, this is great. And he pulls up, and there's a note under the, under the windshield wiper, and he pulls it out, and he, he reads the note. And the note basically says, it says, hey, Jimbo, this is, you know, this, this is dad. And he's like, this is the address and where we're staying. This is how you get there. We're going to go. It's 7.20 now. We're going to come back here and be back here at the car at 8.20. See you then. Um, and it was 8.15 as he was reading the note. So he's like, oh, this is fantastic. So he starts to drive. He gets, follows the directions, and he runs cross paths with his dad on the way back. And, um, and so, so like, well, why that story? And I, this is why that story, I think, really speaks to us in the context of Revelation. The father sends a note to his son to say, this is where I've gone, this is what I'm doing while I'm there, and I'm coming back to get you. And he was, his whole countenance changed when he realized, when he found that note. He was like, oh, I've been saved. I, I know where I'm going. I know where to go. I know what to do. And that's the book of Revelation in a, in a sentence, really. It's a note from the Father to his kids to say, this is where I've gone. This is what I'm preparing while I'm there. And then I'm going to come back and get you. John 14, 1 through 3. Let me just read that to you. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, the night before he hung on the cross, says this to his disciples in John 14, John, the same John who wrote the revelation, who received the vision. Do not let, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled, talking to the disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Have you got your note? Do you have the instructions? Do you know that God is preparing a place for you yet? My prayer 
for you is that you will by the time you leave. My challenge to you is that you will be open to the fact that there's a God, you're not Him, and that you would get ready for His return. So with that, we're going to jump into chapter 10 of the Revelation. Now, Revelation is a strange book of the Bible in that it's just immersed and just filled with symbolism and Old Testament references. It has been said that there's nothing new written in the Revelation that hasn't already been written in the Bible somewhere else. And that John, through the the vision that's revealed to him, is just connecting dots from things that have been prophesied centuries before to what's happening in the day that it was written, which would have been A.D. 95-ish, but also for us today. It's a book that talks about the past, the history, and it also talks about future history. I call it future history because it's going to happen. It's as good as happened. It's just we just haven't seen it yet. We haven't lived through it yet. We haven't seen it unfold, seen it unfold. So Jesus is revealed in the very first chapter of this book. He's revealed as the risen Lord Jesus Christ, not just Jesus who walked on the earth, but one who... I thought that was a lightning bolt for a second. My life just flashed before my eyes. So sorry. I don't know if we're going to have to change the mic yet or not. Let's see. So the first chapter, he's revealed he's the risen Christ. This is after the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Second, chapters 2 and 3 are where he speaks to the church. We're losing this. Looks like this is on. Chapters 2 and 3, he's talking to the church in Revelation, uh, the churches, the seven churches that are existing real churches in history, first century Christian churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Chapters 4 and 5, the vision moves John from earth to heaven in the throne room, and he, and he reveals himself and how God is being worshipped in heaven, and he describes that in the throne room. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 is where the first series of warning judgments occur. And we call them warning judgments because God is going to judge, okay? But the way he judges allows people to have a chance to understand what's happening and repent and believe. So that happens in the opening of the first seven seals. The seventh seal um, is actually the the next set of seven judgments called the trumpets. And that's where we are. We're between sixth and seventh trumpet. And I'll just tell you now, uh, the seventh trumpet is the next seven judgments, which are called bowls. Okay, this, We're going to talk today in chapter 10, and next week in part of 11 will be about this pause between sixth and seventh trumpet, just like there was a pause between sixth and seventh seal. Okay, You see the order, you see the symmetry. God is, is not just spouting this out randomly. It is all ordered and orderly to, to really impress upon us the credibility of the scriptures. And, and uh, so then chapter 9 we looked at last week, which was the first six uh, trumpets. And these, these judgments, these warning judgments, keep happening more often and closer together and more intensely. And again, the goal is to move people to be sobered enough that they would repent and believe your creator wants you to be reconciled to him. Okay, so let's start in chapter 10. John is still revealing to us what's happening. He's now back on earth, and he's revealing what, which is where the, the judgments are all happening. And he starts in verse 10, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10 saying this, Then I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed, he was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. 
He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand, and he planted his right foot in the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion, and when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke, and when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So let's just stop there for a second, okay? So John's describing the best he can using imagery pulled in from the Old Testament and, and again, just trying to describe what he's seeing in a way that people in his day would understand. So for us, 2,000 years later, it's going to look strange, but it's clearly intended to be symbolic. So when we read the Bible, if it's intended to be literal, we read it literal. If it's intended to be symbolic, we read it symbolic, okay? And if it's tend, if, you know, intended to be read poetically, we read it poetically, and, and on and on and on. We, we, we use our brains Right when we use our fa- exercise our faith in reading the word, this mighty angel, a lot of angels in, in the book of Revelation, only five times is there a mighty angel. Okay, this could be one of the archangels like Michael or Gabriel, it could be just a big angel, <laughs> it could just be big because you know, I don't know, I don't know what how they decide how big they're going to be, but this one is pretty impressive, apparently, to John, and he's standing in on the land and on the sea, and the idea is that whatever it is he's getting ready to say, it's going to be for everybody on the earth, for every creature in the earth, whether they're on land or in the sea. Later, he'll raise his right hand, and he'll make, he'll swear, okay, and there's a good kind of swearing, and there's a not good kind of swearing, okay, this is the good kind because it's coming from an angel, and he's going to swear and say something on behalf of God, and he's going to it says he raises his hand heavenward, and that means that the words are not just for the, everybody on earth, but includes everybody in all of creation and the heavens and the earth. Okay? And you'll see that in a minute. He's described as robed in a cloud. Where have we seen clouds? We've seen clouds throughout Scripture. When Jesus shows up in the Transfiguration, one of the lessons they're teaching this Sunday to the kids, they're going to talk about the, the mount where Jesus goes up on the mountain of Transfiguration, and he's enveloped in a cloud. They're going to talk about it, ask the kids about that. They'll be like, how'd you know? Okay, and so there's this cloud, and there's also a rainbow. Where have we heard about a rainbow before, right? Noah. And then we have, uh, we have the, the face shining like the sun, okay? And God's the light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then he looks to his disciples and he says, you're the light of the world, and that's because we have Christ in us, and he is the source of that light. Well, think about it, too. Okay, so symbolically, that's, you can point to places in the Old Testament, whether you're talking about the Exodus when God led Moses and, the, and the Israel with the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud during the day, or whether we look back to Noah and the covenant that God made with Noah using the rainbow as a symbol that he'd never judge the earth again by flood, all of that. But also think about it scientifically. What's a cloud? It's basically water vapor. And what happens when you shine light, sunlight, through water vapor? You get rainbows. And so there you go. So it all comes together and fits because God's not just the the God of faith. He's the God of science. He's the God of truth, all truth. All truth is God's truth. Never forget that. Then he says this. uh, and, And then he says he was holding a little scroll. Now, this is a massive angel. So a scroll to John would have been normal size, but it's little in the hands of this giant angel. And and it's laying open in his hand. Now, this is not the same scroll that was sealed when we read in chapters 5 and 6, where God the Father is sitting on the throne, his hand is open, and there's a scroll 
sealed in his hand, and nobody could open that scroll except Jesus standing next to the lamb who was slain, but yet upright that for Christ's resurrection. He could open it. This is a different scroll. It's already open, and John is going to be told, take the scroll. (laughs) Then he'll ask, because there's this giant angel holding it, and I'm not just going to take it from him. Okay, so there's a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot in the sea and his left foot on the land. There's repetition. We're going to see it a third time. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Jesus is oftentimes referred to as the Lion of Judah. And then uh, when he shouted, the seven voices, uh, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. Now, what are the seven thunders? I don't know full disclosure, okay? But here's what I think, okay? So put this in the category of whatever, this is his opinion, okay? I think that this was another seven warnings of judgment that God decided not to roll out. And I'll tell you why in a minute, okay? So seven thunders that John, he sees them, they're very specific, he's ready to write them down, and and the Lord says, nope, seal that up, just don't even write it down, okay? Like he told Daniel when Daniel was revealing these things that he's now telling John to reveal, here's something he said, no, don't write that down. Here's why. Look at verses, starting in verse 5. Then the angel that I had seen standing on the sea and on the land, third time, raised his right hand to heaven. It was funny, we were at group last night, and and Doris, you did that. You didn't even say, "I I swear, you didn't say, I swanee, you didn't say anything, you just did that. And that was what you were saying is, I promise what I'm saying is true. Okay, so that's what this is. This is this angel is saying, I promise that what I'm getting ready to say is true and from the mouth of God. And this is what he said. Verse six. And he swore by him. Who's him who lives? He's going to describe him. He lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them and the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said, what is he going to say? That's the Lord Jesus, by the way, whoever forever creator. This is what he said. No more delay. There's the reason the seven thunders don't roll out. We're done waiting. Pause, flip back to Revelation 6. I think we have that on the screen here. Verses 9 and 10. You will remember this from when we talked about this. This is in the context of opening the seals. Okay? And Jesus is the only one who can open the seals. Uh, And he gives permission to angels to do that. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. This is in the throne room of heaven. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and of the testimony that they had maintained. So these are faithful followers of Jesus who have died because they stuck to their guns and did not deny Christ, even though it cost them their lives. So when Jesus says, come and see, it's going to be followed by come and follow, and it's going to be followed by come and die, okay? You and I may never have to die for our faith, but we need to go ahead and make the decision by faith. We're dead men and women walking if we do that. And that's a good place. There's freedom in that. That's another sermon. Verse 10, they called out in a loud voice. This is the martyrs under the the altar. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So that's what the angel is saying when he says, No more delay. It's time which means that all the people that are still on the earth that are still rebelling against God, their time to repent and believe is shrinking. And it's going to finish out with the seven bowls, okay? All right, and in our timeline, if you look at the last seven years at the end, we're about halfway through. 
Okay? Verse wherever. Verse next. Um, No more delay. Verse 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, that would be the seven bowls, the mystery of God will be accomplished. That's key. The mystery of God will be accomplished. Okay? Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now, most of his prophets we read about in the Old Testament. We've got, you know, Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. You've got Elijah and Elisha. And then you've got all the minor prophets because they're too young. Um, just kidding. And, and there, there's this mystery that they saw as a mystery is going to be revealed through what's coming. And, and it's been, a lot of it's been revealed to you and I already in the New Testament scriptures. Okay? And some of that is the fact that there is a church, and this is how the church functions. That's part of the mystery that Paul likes to talk about. But it's more than that. Paul really hints at it in Ephesians 1.9, Colossians 1.19 and 20. Both of those places, he basically says this, God is restoring all things under Christ who is the head. God is restoring all things under Christ who is the head. He is the king. King of kings. And God knows our world is broken and he is going to fix it and put it underneath his holy rule. It's coming. That's why he's coming back to do that. Okay? There's a God. You're not him. Are you ready? Because if you know Christ, then you could say, I think I'm ready because I'm sealed by his spirit. And therefore, he's holding me and keeping me until that day. And I have that to look forward to. But if I don't know him, then I'm not ready for him to come back because you don't want the consequences of basically saying to God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You don't want that. Trust me. Trust the word. So this is where it finishes up. This is how he wraps up. And this is where our application is for today. Okay? And there's application here for you if you're a follower of Christ. And there's application here today for you if you're not. Then the voice that I heard, the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And then he's going to add two more things to that. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And the angel, he said to me, take it. And eat it, and it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the angel's hand, and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. There's the number four. That's the number of world or earth. Okay? okay. That's, that's basically all the people's on the earth. So what's, what's happening here? God, through the angel, is recommissioning John one more time. He's saying, the time is near. No more delay. There's a small window of opportunity for those who are still not repented and believed, and we want to make sure they have every opportunity to respond to Christ. God is patient, but he has a limit. There is a time when he will, cont- he will cease He will cease to wait, and and he will withhold mercy, and it will be judgment. Okay, so let's talk about this eating scroll business, okay? Symbolism. Go back to Ezekiel. You can see God telling Ezekiel to eat a scroll too, okay? Don't go home 
and, and look for online for edible paper, okay? It exists. We're not talking about that, okay? What we're talking about here is this mindset of the words, the scroll represents the words of God, in, in, in particular, the mystery of God that is going to be accomplished, okay, which would basically be what's happening in future history and how it's going to unfold. And you need to tell people about that, proclaim, prophesy again, and you need to do that having digested that information, which is basically you've read it and you've processed it. You've chewed on it, if you will. Okay? You can tell when somebody is preaching something they've chewed on and when they are preaching something they've just gotten somewhere else and they're basically just sharing what somebody else has written. Okay? You can tell. Okay? And... And it's important that when we share our faith with others, that it's because we've been chewing on the word, that we've been digesting what is there, that we've been processing. When we talk about the imagery of getting a grip on God's word, a five-finger grip on God's word, we, we mean that because if I hold it with just two fingers, you can yank it out of my hand pretty easily. But if I have all five fingers on it, it's really harder to get it from me. And what are those five fingers representative of? Five ways to take in the word of God. We want to hear the word of God. That's what you're doing right now. We want to read the Word of God, daily reading plan. We want to study the Word of God. That means read it with a pen in hand. We want to memorize the Word of God, okay, so that when they take our Bibles, they haven't taken our, our fuel for our faith, and we want to meditate on it, chew on it, eat it. And notice that the thumb touches the other four because all of these are easier to meditate on when we're, when we're doing that. You can meditate on the word as you hear it, read it, study it, and of course we memorize it. Okay, so we want to get a good grip on God's word. So what are the four things that he, the angel tells John to do? Go, take, eat, proclaim. Rinse and repeat. Okay, oh, sorry, all those dental images just went through our minds and we're like, no, pain. Okay, so go, but who's speaking? The angel's speaking. But the voice told the angel what to say. The voice representing God the Father or God the Son. It doesn't matter. It's God authority. And if, if, for those of you that know that Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 18 through 20, you already hear the Great Commission, don't you? Right? What does it say? Jesus says, the last words Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to stand next to the throne in heaven as the Lamb of God slain but standing, he says, therefore go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now go, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and surely I will be with you until the end of the age. So go, take, eat, proclaim. Go with the authority of Christ, okay, we, we go, but we don't often take our authority, his authority with us. We go so timidly sometimes. Let's stop that. Let's believe that we have the authority to say what we have to say, and let's talk like it. That's not talking arrogantly. There's a huge difference between talking with confident arrogance and confident authority. Because the authority, it didn't come from me. It didn't come from you. It came from him. So we speak with his authority, with humility and grace like Jesus. We take the word of God with us. That's what we're taking to people. 
Okay, and we're, we're, if we have one of these and we can read it right alongside of them and walk through it together, that's a beautiful way to do it. You don't always have that luxury, and sometimes it's from the words of God that you have hidden in your mind and heart. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I won't sin against you, Psalm 119.11. Probably be good to memorize that verse. That might motivate you to, to memorize more. We need to be memorizing more than verses, by the way passages. This is why our memory verses we're doing now are connected. If you'll notice, we're adding so that you end up with a chunk of scripture. Because we don't know what it's like to be in prison for our faith. But our brothers and sisters in China do. They know what it's like to not have a Bible in prison. In our prisons, you can get a Bible. In their prisons, you can't even get a meal. So to have the, the Bible, it's going to be, if you get it in there, it's going to be taken from you. So you have to have it here and here. Read the book, Insanity of God. Listen to their stories, what got them through. Okay, the guy in the raft, he was three weeks. The guy in Russia in the book, uh, one of the stories in Insanity of God by Nick Ripken, 19 years in a Russian gulag. Yeah, might need the word of God to get through that. He had the word of God in his heart and head, and he would look for scratches of scraps of paper and pieces of charcoal, and he would write as much of the verse he could fit on that piece of paper, and then he would stick it on the wall until the guard saw it and took it away, and then he would do it again, and he, heart, and he, and he had a heart song. Those are the two things that got him through, and the story is over and over repeated through that, and that's just some examples. So we, we need to take the word, go with authority, so that's either going intentionally or as you go about your day. It doesn't matter which way you want to interpret that. Both are fine. Take the word, Eat it, process it, digest it, chew on it so that it's, it's something you've internalized, okay? That takes time. That takes intentional time every day where you're spending time alone with the Lord and you're saying, I just need to hear from you and you've already spoken, okay? And then the last one is proclaim. He says, prophesy again. Prophecy, there's two kinds. There's foretelling and forthtelling, and I always get them confused. Um, but one is telling the future, which most of us aren't going to be doing, I hope. Um, but the other is forthtelling, which I think is what I'm doing here. But it's also what I do across a lunch table when Chick-fil-A's dining hall is actually open. I'm appealing online right now. Open your dining halls, please. Right? <laughs> right? So, so like, yeah. So, and uh, right across, it can be one-on-one. Don't, don't let Bible words scare you. They're just words. They mean things. And uh, you need to realize that God speaks through you. And sometimes it's one-on-one. And sometimes it's in front of a group larger than one. That's, it doesn't matter. The question is, are you, are you opening your mouth? Are you going with authority? Are you taking the word? Are you having, taking word that you have processed in your heart and your mind? And are you proclaiming it? That means you're saying it out loud. You can do that with your voice. You can do that with a key, keyboard. Okay. You can do it with a computer, you can do it with a tablet, you can do it with a phone, and you can do it in person. There's so many ways. And he wants us to do it around the corner and around the world. I want to read this to you. So, I don't usually um, read poems. But this one... It struck, struck a good chord. So today's message is titled Around the Corner and Around the World. You all have heard me say that many times. Okay, We want to make disciples who make disciples around the corner and around the world. It's another way of saying we want to do that one thing he left us to do locally and globally. 
And it's never been easier to do it globally. I'm not discouraging anybody from traveling. Get your passports up to date, folks. Eventually, we're going to be able to go. But with the Internet, we can go globally. And we even have people right now watching from other countries. Okay? We can do that. You can do that. But here's the poem. It's by Charles Hanson Town called Around the Corner. Around the corner, I have a friend in this great city that has no end. Yet the days go by and weeks rush on, and before I know it, a year is gone. And I never see my old friend's face, for life is a swift and terrible race. He knows I like him just as well as as in the days when I rang his bell. And he rang mine, but we were younger then, and now we are busy, tired men, tired of playing a foolish game, tired of trying to make a name. Tomorrow, I say, I will call on Jim, just to show that I'm thinking of him. But tomorrow comes and tomorrow goes, and distance between us grows and grows. Around the corner, yet miles away, here's a telegram, sir, Jim died today. And that's what we get and deserve in the end, around the corner, a vanished friend. We're not promised tomorrow, and neither are they. You have relationships already with people. Some you are close to, some you were close to in the past. And you're friends on Facebook, and you hardly ever talk, but you still have that connection. And then, of course, we see strangers every single day that need to hear and respond to the gospel. This is our one job. We have one job. Make disciples. And each one of you is different in God's collective kingdom. And that's by design. You're unique because God wants you to to share the word of God with others uniquely. He doesn't want you to do it the way I tell you to do it. He wants you to just do that the way you were wired to do that with your personality, with your passions, with your abilities, with your personality, with your history. He wants you to go and have conversations with people that potentially lead them to Jesus. We're not going to put a giant thermometer over here and count and try to get twist your arm to do this. I want you to do it because you want to do it. And part of equipping you is doing things like the Alpha course that we're going to offer on Thursday. It starts on Thursday right here. Okay? That's just a tool. It's just more for your toolbox. Fill your toolbox, but use your tools. They're no good in the box. Okay? Around the corner and around the world. Think back to Jim's story. All right? Jim felt lost when he didn't know where his daddy was. He didn't know where his family was. He didn't know what they were doing. He just knew he was disconnected from them. But his father who left went and prepared a place, and he left a note. And he wants us to read the note over and over. And when you are tempted to doubt, read the note again. Read the revelation again and again. It will sober you, and it will remind you that the days are short. We're not promised tomorrow. And what we're going to answer for, the judgment that you and I as believers will stand before, is what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the time I gave you? the treasure I gave you, the testimony I gave you. 
What did you do with the church I gave you, the people that you, that you know and love? What did you do with the resources I put in front of you? That's the church he's going to ask that question. Questions like that. What did you do with Jesus? I gave you life, abundant life. Are you a life giver or just a life taker? And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is something that your soul craves and you may not even realize that. All those things in life you chase, those are just cheap imitations of the real thing. And I urge you to look into the eyes of Jesus and, and somehow see the love and truth that he brings to the table for you to receive. We are all born sinners, and the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And even though we were all born sinners into this world, we don't have to leave that way. Because he made it possible for you and I to surrender our lives to him, knowing that he is a good God and he is a great God. Great in the sense of all-powerful, almighty, all that we need. And that's a message that we need to believe for ourselves so that we walk the path that he's got for us. And it's a message that we need to be willing to share with others. Let's pray. Lord God, as we um, continue to sing and process and chew on what you've given us today to think about, I pray that you will encourage us, and I think of the word courage as in, in that word, embolden us, encourage us to trust you and to act on that faith. To act on that belief. And do something that matters. Starting with just knowing you and pleasing you. When you flip on a light bulb, it just shines. That's just what a bulb that's working does. When it's tapped into the right power. Lord, may we shine like stars in the sky. Cast against that black velvet background. Drawing eyes to you. And may that change lives, starting with us, but through us. May you lead many to know you personally and, and free them from the tyranny of sin. Give us the faith we need, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.